Hi there, Matty Jackson back here with the Academy North from behind the lockdown podcast. Back again with Stephen Cole. How are you, Steve? Back again, mate. All good, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Very good. Back coaching today, as we're allowed now by the ECB. So I've got a little bit of sunburn, but it's been nice to get out. <laughs> um, so just before we start, check out the website, academynorth.co.uk, social media, Academy North One, and the <clears throat> podcast is on Apple and Spotify. So you can subscribe on there. Our next guest today, very, very excited about this one. Something a little bit different. I've got no stats to reel off. We've got the Chief Cricket Correspondent for The Telegraph with us today, Nick Holt. Thanks for joining us, Nick. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Just been distracted by a neighbour walking past carrying a Vianetta, which is old school, isn't it? Mint or chocolate? I did chocolate by the look of it. Oh, uh, mint, mint is the one. Um, but anyway, we had a thanks for coming on, mate. We had a little bit of a chat there before we recorded about obviously being in lockdown. And how's that gone for you, mate? Have you been been still busy? Yeah, it's pretty. It's turned out that um, not playing cricket is even busier than playing cricket. So, uh, so yeah, um, been very very busy working on the sort of stories around cricket not being played and the consequences of that for England and for the counties. Yeah, can imagine. Can imagine there's a lot going on there. And one question we normally ask people when they come on actually during lockdown is is what's on the Netflix. But I guess you haven't had that much time, have you? And not really, no. I, do you know what? I'm about the only person in cricket who hasn't even watched that Amazon programme on the test, the Aussie team, aren't you? Right. Yeah, I watched that, yeah. As soon as it came out, we were all over that, weren't we, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this is probably not going to make me very popular, but I kind of, because I was there, I didn't really feel the need to watch it, but then I sort of, <laughs> you know, I think I must get sit down and watch it, but yeah, I haven't... Um, haven't seen that, so that's definitely. I'm going to try and do that this rest of this week. That is that is a good excuse for not watching it, though. Having been there while it happened, <laughs> <laughs> as good as we go. <laughs> so yeah, so Nick, obviously, Matt is saying you're, you're the chief cricket correspondent for the Telegraph. Just sort of, how did that come about, mate? Really, and can you give us like a little description of what your sort of day to day job entails, mate? Uh, yeah, I mean, the job is. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I cover pretty much solely England cricket now. I mean, the England schedule is so busy and full that it's very difficult to see any county cricket these days. Um, I don't cover any other sport. Um, I just specialise in cricket, and that's been the case for, well, for a long time now, 10 years at least. Um, And, yeah, it's going on the road with England in the winter um, and covering the England home series in the summer. Um, And... World cricket, you know, we go to world events, global events, obviously, World Cups, World T20s, and covering ICC stuff. Yeah, so the whole the whole range, really. I mean, I, I always say that I, I try and liken it to being uh, the same as being, say, the science or education correspondent on paper. You know, you just yeah. have to be across your brief, and being across our brief sort of means watching cricket and, and being around England too. I wouldn't, wouldn't mind yeah. that. <laughs> Not a bad job. Um, did you play yourself, mate? Uh, I did a bit, yeah, not not to any standard um, at all. Um, I'm very much a career journalist, not an ex-player. I don't look at it through the eyes of being an ex-player in any way. Um, and the one thing I've learned in this job is that if you spend five minutes, ten minutes in the company of an ex-cricketer at, an, at a match, they will see things that you will never see. Um, no matter, yeah. you know, yeah, and, and, it, and it, it's... I always learn something whenever I sit down talking to an ex-player. Um, and you know, they're, they're saying, oh, if he just moves extra cover a few feet to his left, then this will happen and that will happen. And you think, well, I didn't spot that. But, 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> my job, the job is to be the journalist and, and spot the story and try and break news stories and, and, and do interviews and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, 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 I played a bit of club cricket and now I play every so often for uh, the media team. And it's very handy to play because it reminds you how difficult the sport is. <laughs> you, uh, you, you answered my next question there about obviously ex-internationals in the media and, and how different that may be. So I've got a different question now. When you get to play with the media team, do you get to rope the likes of Michael Vaughan in for a game? Or <laughs> Yeah, we have. I mean, not often. Most of them wouldn't be seen dead playing with us. Um, <laughs> they, they kind of run a bit of a hiding to nothing, and I understand that because, you know, they've been ex-superstar creators, and what have they got to prove, you know? And, and there's always a chance. Somebody said to me, I mean, Jack Callis has already said I think it was him that said this, that any club cricketer can bowl the ball of his life to you and get you out. And, you know, you, you can nick off first ball no matter who you are. So they, they sort of, they, they don't play very often, but we had one game in the UAE uh, on a tour during a series against Pakistan. We yeah. played a game against the ICC at their facility in Dubai. Yeah. And we performed the Swan and Charlie Dagnall to play for us. Okay. Against an ICC eleven, and we still lost. Um, <laughs> every single game I've played in press eleven, we've lost. And that one, we—I uh, mean, Vaughan was playing all these glorious shots straight to fielders. Um, it was a bit like watching him play one-day cricket back in the day. Um, but uh, all the pros had to—they had, had to retire out at thirty. And I think he reached thirty with a six and a four, um, and. Um, so we never quite maximised having him in in our side, but it was great fielding to Swan and um, yeah, brilliant. I remember he said to me, "Can you come in close? I want to. I want you there as a catcher." And I, and I just said, "Refuse to do it." Because I said, "Look, <laughs> this ball goes to my hands, and I end up in hospital. I can't work for you. I don't care whether we win or lose this game, so that's not happening." Um, <laughs> So that's the difference, I think. Um, but yeah, it's always great to watch these players look close. Yeah, br- brilliant. I can just ima- imagine you having an argument with Graham Swan there. Um, so obviously, we've had we mentioned off air. We've had some incredible guests on here, and with the players we're lucky enough to speak to who've played international cricket, we often ask them about their England debut. So, can you remember much about your own England debut and the first England game that you reported on? I can, yeah. Do you know what? I've never seen a test match apart from as a journalist. And, uh, uh, the first test match I covered, uh, let me get the wisdom out, I'll put it right next to me. Uh, oh, brilliant. <laughs> Proper uh, prep, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I've got a big, big bookcase of them. Um, so I, I started covering international cricket in 2000. Um, so England played the West Indies, if you remember, in 2000. But they played two test matches against Zimbabwe and um, my first test match was against Zimbabwe at, um, at Lords. I'm just loading that scorecard up now as quick as we can. Um, at Lord, not a bad Lords debut though as well. Yeah, I mean it was, I, mean, I, I, you know, I don't really remember much about the, the Zimbabwe series but I remember a lot more about the obviously the West Indies one that followed. Um, I think Alex Stewart got 100 in that game. Yeah, um, I've got it here. Graham Hick, 100. <laughs> Alex Stewart, 100. Ed, Ed, yeah. Ed Giddens, 5 for 15. Right. Yeah, Ed yeah. Giddens. It was um, the first summer, really, for, for um, Duncan Fletcher and Nasu Hussain, and it was also the first summer of Central Contracts. Right. 
Yeah. And they gave one to Chris Schofield, I do remember the leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and um, I think that was his test debut. And uh, yeah, so that was my first game. Yeah, it was his test debut. I'm reading. I'm, don't, I don't know this off my heart. I'm just reading this. Yeah, off okay, <laughs> As we speak, Chris Schofield got a duck and didn't bowl. Um, but anyway. <laughs> so obviously, sort of last summer must have been sort of the best for you guys and what you're doing. But obviously, the World Cup and the Ashes back to back, mate. And obviously, England going on to lift the trophy as well. Yeah, um, the World Cup. Um, well, the World Cup finals a day, you never forget. Uh, the atmosphere at Lords was amazing. I mean, it had. As you know, the cricket match had everything. Um, uh, as a journalist, it was slightly stressful because uh, the game didn't finish at 20 to 8 and our deadline is not long after that. So it was a bit hairy. Um, uh, but um, yeah, amazing. Uh, and then the, um, the Test Magic against Australia at Headingley was incredible. I mean, it was actually... The following week, it was a, all fell a bit flat, didn't it? The, yeah. the, 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 the yeah. of Trafford and the wind, I think, were a bit petulant. They didn't play very well, and um, it all went to waste a little bit. The, the Stoke stuff ahead of me, but yeah, the World Cup final was incredible. Um, <coughs> yeah, uh, it was probably the best home summer I've seen, really. Um, yeah, it's been a good one. Yeah, just just on Headingley there, Nick. Obviously, I'm sure with your deadlines, you while the while the game's gone on, you started writing. But three quarters of your uh, piece until Ben Stokes, you had to rip it up. Then did you? It's <laughs> exactly what happened. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the, the sun, that was a Sunday, and, and it was early in the day, so it wasn't it wasn't really a tight one on deadline. Because um, uh, again, I think it finished in afternoon. Um, whereas obviously the World Cup final. Um, you know, you can, you know, that, that went right to the wire in the yeah, day. Yeah. But no, I remember the Headingley press box, um, there's a there's a, there's a a seating area right at the back where you can go. It's actually a lecture theatre. It's not actually a press box, but it's a lecture theatre for you. <laughs> and at the back of those sort of chairs, you know, when you're at university where you flap over the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I went back to sit up there because it was, you know, they were, England were losing. And I, and I started writing a piece about, you know, this glorious... World Cup victory means enough, you know, he's paying, you know, England's test cricket is dying, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're all over. And I wasn't really watching the start of the Stoke stuff. I could just hear these roars and I was sort of concentrating on writing this piece completely knife English, England's test. <laughs> and then I thought, I better watch this because this is actually just quite entertaining. It's not, it's gonna, not going to go anywhere because it will hold out, obviously. It'll yeah. Out. Matter, and then you know, and then you just start. And then I just thought, hang on a minute, this could be the greatest performance of all time. (laughs) (laughs) You then obviously just couldn't take your eyes off it. And um, the the I mean, the the missed run out, the 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 LBW. I mean, there was and just this, you know, the reverse hit over the you know six. There was just so many, so many moments that um, you couldn't, you couldn't, you never forget. I mean, I had a, there was a colleague with me um, who normally a news reporter, and, and we were a bit short staffed because we did so much had gone on that summer. He came up for that game. It's the only test match he's ever covered, he's ever been to. And I just said to him, mate, it's not always like this. <laughs> <laughs> you could have got him back there. You just mentioned something there, Nick, that got me thinking. Um, do you ever get a chance to just sit and watch the cricket? Or are you constantly thinking, making notes? Or is there ever a chance you can just have half an hour, feet up and enjoy some cricket? Um, 
I think you're always thinking of the story. Um, what's the story of the day? What, how am I going to encapsulate this? Uh, uh, so that never really goes away. Yeah. Uh, I think the morning session, you can probably relax a bit more. Um, and the first morning of a test match is normally, you know, can shape the game more often than not. Yeah. Um, that's the most interesting to watch. Um, one day is very difficult because normally they're a bit tight on deadline. Yeah. They don't typically live with you so much because you're not watching the game as much because yeah. you can't. Um, the T20s are even worse for that, especially if they're night games. Um, <laughs> very difficult. It depends where, if you're overseas, if you're in Australia, you've got bags of time because you're 12 and a half ahead or whatever. Um, the deadlines, time difference-wise, so you've got a bit more time to watch what's going on. Troubles with England and Australia, you don't always want to watch what's going on. Then, <laughs> uh, if you're the opposite side of the world, if you're in the West Indies, we're five in the West Indies. You wake up, you're already five hours behind the clock, so yeah. you know you're really tight on deadline in the West Indies. Um, uh, you know, play finishes at five o'clock in the Caribbean. That's what ten o'clock, nine, ten o'clock at home, and that's yeah. quite tight for us. So those games, you perhaps you're not necessarily watching the, sec- the last session. But the one thing. The one encouraging thing in this job is that I've noticed over the last years I love watching the cricket now more than I've ever done. So, brilliant. you know, but, uh, I think Test cricket is just a brilliant game to watch at the moment. Yeah, thank you. Definitely, definitely. Just on, just on sort of the, uh, the World Cup one as well, Nick. Uh, is there a book coming out as well? Morgan's Men, is it? Uh, there is, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even ask you to ask that. So that's three points for you there, amazing. <laughs> July the 9th, yeah, it's a um, book I've written with um, Steve James, who's my colleague from The Times. Um, it's a piece of reportage mainly. We, it's, it's just really bringing everything together. It starts with um, uh, a report written by Steve of the final, and it finishes, the last chapter is the Super Over and the celebrations the day after. Um, and then in between that, we go back and we tell the story. I was at the World Cup in 2015, we know when that core and um, we tell the story about how they rebuilt the team, rebuilt the culture, reinvented how they played one day cricket using yeah. analysis and stats and all that sort of stuff. And then we have a report from each game, which we, you know, it's not just a you know a blow by blow account of the match because that'd be a bit boring, but it's it's we use each match to kind of feature a player, profile a player who had a decent role to play. Oh, in that game so you know the first chapter is the South Africa game at the Oval and we use that to look at Joffre Archer yeah and a few months before I was in the Caribbean I went back to his old school in, in Barbados and you know so there's all that sort of stuff that we brought before into it um, yeah. and just some of the background stories you know uh, the team yeah. meetings that went on and um, the detail that we were lucky enough to, to sort of you know be privy to at the time that we may, may not necessarily have been able to rise at the time that came in handy for the book Oh, brilliant. Look forward to that, July the 9th. I'll definitely get a copy of that. Just before, a couple of things, mate, just before we go into your team. Um, obviously, we've just discussed it, but everyone knows 2019 will be a great year that we'll remember forever. 2020, we might re- remember forever the summer of cricket as well. Um, maybe for different reasons. Do you think we'll, think we'll get on with some international cricket this year? I think unless um, there's a second spike in infections or... Yeah. Um, or, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, football's return proves to be a disaster for whatever reason, um, then, yes, I'm pretty sure we'll get the international games away. There's been an awful lot of work gone on. 
it costs you easy, but a lot of money to put them on. But at the same time, if they don't put them on, it costs even more money. So, <laughs> yeah. so they have to get them done for the good of the game. I think what cricket has in its, uh, you know, in, in its favour compared to other sports is that everybody's pulling in the same direction. I think the counties accept that the international cricket has to come first. Yeah. Uh, I think if we had a situation where the counties were rocking and wanting to go first, then you know it wouldn't happen. But I think everybody in cricket, unlike football and rugby, everybody realises the international has to happen. So I think they will. County cricket, I've got a feeling that county cricket could in the end be the one form of the game that's not played. I think that we could see some club cricket, but not county cricket for economic reasons, really. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Yeah, there's... um... There's also a new form of mentee play, wasn't there, mate, in the hundreds? I was wondering what your thoughts were that from sort of a, your point of view. Uh, I think that it was a huge opportunity missed not to have the hundred this year. Uh, I can understand yeah. it was the right decision to hold back on it, but uh, they were in a great position after last summer of the World Cup and Stokes Sport Personality of the Year to really build on that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm one of these who... who uh, I support the introduction of a new tournament. I think I can see why English cricket needs it for financial reasons. Um, and county cricket has done a great, is great in many ways, but it hasn't, I'm afraid, tapped into some of the audiences that, that the English cricket is desperate to reach. Um, it has in some areas, but not, not in all. And some counties do amazing work, but, um, but I, yeah. It, 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 it's a real pity that it, that it, it didn't happen. Um, the question is, will it happen now? Um, I would think. I would think. I, well, who knows? I mean, it, <laughs> it needs crowds, doesn't it? And, and where? where are, when are we going to have mass gatherings? I mean, it's not. Yeah. Agreed. So, yeah. S- something we'll have to wait and see and fingers crossed um, so we're going to stop quizzing you now and we're going to go through your best 11 um, and at the top you've got the big Aussie you've got Matthew Hayden I have yeah and I like you know I don't see any batsman dominate a bowling attack or, or stamp his kind of physical presence on a on a new ball in the way that, that Hayden did Um my first job in journalism was working on my local paper in Northampton, where I'm from. I ended up the cricket correspondent, and he was the captain of Northampton for the two seasons that I did it. Um, right. And so, saw up close, he's kind of. Uh, and this was a point when he wasn't in the Australian side. Um, and I saw up close the kind of power that he had, um, and he was a cut above any 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 of the county lads. They all. To be honest, they were totally in awe of him. Um, yeah. And then, you know, he, he broke into the Australian team and, and and just had a phenomenal career. He ended up playing well over 100 test matches, which if, if he'd have said that in 97, 98, he probably wouldn't have believed you. But, um, but yeah, that's why I've picked Hayden. He was very unpopular with his opposition, but, you know, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> just on Hayden, I was... Sorry, mate. He, he, was, he was an absolutely phenomenal sledger. I mean, the North Ants, I mean, the North Ants, <laughs> The North Ants lads once after a game down at Hove against Sussex, you know, he'd sledge some young Sussex lad coming into bat and they were all sort of turning away. They couldn't quite believe what he was saying to this kid. You know, that, that's why the others hate him. But at that, point, at that point in time, it kind of showed a little bit of the difference between them, the, the, the aggression and strength of Australian cricket and perhaps the, the weakest, the weaker English cricket at that point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, obviously for Nick, obviously for us, watching the Ashes, England Australia is obviously the best thing to watch. Is that also sort of the best to write about as well, just because the magnitude of the series? 
Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it, it feels the whole... Yeah, I mean, it's like our World Cup really, in football, you know. It's... Um, um, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, watching England play in India is an, is an incredible experience, but unfortunately, nobody get the crowds in India in test matches anymore. So, mm. I think you're not going something. So, you kind of... Um, yeah, so yeah, the Ashes has has definitely captures everybody's interest, it captures everybody's imagination, and it reaches people who don't always follow cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so at the top you've got Michael Vaughan as well. I have, and I'm going to get massively. I'm going to get rid. You know, lads are going to take the Mickey out of me for this because I've seen, but he, you know, he's my mate, and uh, <laughs> and you know, and the people are going to say, yeah, you picked him for that reason. Why haven't you picked Alistair Cook? And, and I probably should be picking Alison Cook, and I'm sorry, but I'm picking my mate because I think he's a brilliant. <laughs> he was a, you know, he's a great captain, and this team needs a good captain because uh, of strong personalities in it. So I'm picking him for his captaincy. I'm picking him also because the first Ashes tour I covered was the the 2002-3 tour when he absolutely dominated Australia, yeah. and that great Australian side as well. Um, you know, with McGrath, Lee, Gillespie. Warren, I know Warren got injured in that series, but they they still they still had a great side, and he was playing in a crap England team that were getting thumped from pillar to post. And I've not, I, I went on the 2010-11 tour, and I know Alistair Cook scored a hell of a lot of runs on that tour, but he never really he ground them down, and whereas Vaughan really took the attack to them, and yeah. he was a great batsman to watch, um, and he was an outstanding captain. And like I say, this team needs captain, and also I want to pick a team that entertains me, and you know Vaughan was always an entertainer. Yeah. I really wanted to pick Wayne Larkins, but I thought I can't because he only played <laughs> We'll give you Michael Vaughan, mate. As uh, as we mentioned to you, he's been on the podcast as well. We're very lucky to have him on. He's a good fellow as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can you can have him yeah. in charge of some of the egos we may or may not have in this middle order. <laughs> well, like, you know, master of man manager of man management, and that's what this team needs. But talking of talking of captaincies and and captain sorry and, and things like that, how do you think Michael Vaughan would go captain in your number three? And that's Ricky Ponting. Oh, I think they'd be fine together. I mean, just an enormous amount of respect for for, for you know you know for for him. I, I mean, Vaughan would be yeah. I, I don't think Ricky Ponting would be anything. You know, would be a a difficult player to handle at all. I mean, he he was just a, a, a completely dedicated to scoring runs, dominating attacks, and and. Being aggressive and setting the tone at number three, uh, I've not seen another batsman at number three do that the way that he, he he's done. He did, um, I suppose. You know, he didn't. He, he had his problems against spin in the early days of his career and in India and stuff. Um, and as a captain, he lost. Obviously, he didn't have a great Ashes record, but yeah. um, but that kind of dead-eyed stare, that that kind of bristling. Arrogance and aggression that he brought to his batting, probably aggression more than arrogance, actually, to be fair to Ponting, um, was something that I, you know, I, I love to watch. And, yeah. um, and I think, you know, when I was watching Ponting, I always thought, I'm, I'm watching true greatness here. Yeah, yeah. Can't, can't argue with that. My, my kind of lasting memory, I watched a little sort of highlights video of the 2005 Ashes, and when he took it on the lid, took his lid off, wiped the blood away, spat, it, spat the blood on the pitch, and just carried on batting. Like, yeah. just, just incredible. Is he... Know, he, he, he has to go off these days for concussion check, but I mean, he wouldn't, you know, play. Oh, yeah, that, that was when you knew the, the, the series was on. You yeah. Know, uh, obviously, they did thump. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, I mean, and he, he, he had a different job, didn't he? Picking, up, picking that team up after all the greats left at once. And, yeah. um, 
you know, that 10-11 Australian team that got beaten by England, not taking anything away from England, but that wasn't the greatest side in the world. Um, <laughs> no. um, but, um, yeah, terrific, terrific player, terrific player. Yeah, do you, um, just sort of in terms of, of him, obviously such a tough competitor, on the pitch, as we've just discussed, does he does he carry that off the pitch as well, or is he a little bit more? I don't know. I guess mellow. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, Mel- yes, definitely now. Um, when he was captain, he was. I'm looking at this through the eyes of a journalist, I suppose, but I don't think I've dealt with many better cap- captains who are better at dealing with the media. Right. Um, you know, he was. He, 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 he spoke with great authority on the game, on his team, and on the opposition. Um, you know, he, he, he had an unpleasant side, didn't he? You know, he, he could be a, you know, the way you know some of the rucks he had with umpires and with opponents. You know, not always pleasant to watch. But um, but yeah, uh, he kind of got control of his private life, didn't he? He was a bit of a boozer in the early days, got himself yeah. into a bit of trouble. Um, you know, so he was a flawed character as well. But yeah. he still. Still went on to be one of you know, yeah, only... not too bad. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, I suppose from one character to another, you got Kevin Peterson on the four. Yeah, uh, KP, no England batsman has in my time uh, has entertained me as much as Kevin. Um, terrific batsman, terrific cricketer, difficult character at times, obviously. Um, uh, 05, Brett Lee to Peterson, uh, the Oval, something I'll never forget. Sporting theatre at its very best. Yeah. Fantastic innings in Mumbai, 2012, right at the end of the England career, as it turned out. Um, yeah. And um, and and some, you know, the, the hundred he scored at Headingley against South Africa. Just, just, uh, you know, just uh, uh, a man who could handle any any occasion, ego, everything. I, I just thought he was uh, the best batsman to write about that I've covered in my time from from England point of view. Um, I mean, you know, when you, when you look at his very early days, his first series as a one-day player in South Africa, the amount of abuse he got off the yeah, South Africans, yeah. went out there, scored runs, you know, took it on the chin, and not many English players could, could, could cope with it. Um, so, yeah, Peterson, definitely for me. Is he sort of someone like Kevin Peterson, Nick? Is he like the perfect, so for your sort of job, as a one minute he's a superstar on the field and comes with a lot of controversy off it as well, doesn't it, I suppose? Plenty to write about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, never quite day. And there was always a bit of a joke amongst us. If you stuck Kevin Peterson in the intro, you'd never get a phone call from the office the following day saying you'd missed the story, you know, because he was always the story. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there was an ever-changing narrative with Kevin, which made him interesting to, to, to cover. Um, and we all know it ended very, very badly. But I, I always think with Kevin, you know, he never really got English sensibilities. He never really knew when not to say something. Um but I always think with Kevin, he always said it to your face, as some of the others necessarily do. That. Yeah. Um, and um, there were faults, deep faults on both sides, when we could talk about that for the rest of the podcast. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very, very good way of putting that. Um, so we'll move on to number five, another another bit of a character, who, but absolute class player. we got Virat Kohli. Yeah, I, I, I just love watching Kohli back in India. Um, my last tour to India, he was just amazing uh, player to, 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 to see up close. Um, like Tendulkar before him, he obviously carries the weight of a nation, as we always say. Um, but I think he, he's done more for Indian cricket in some respects as a captain. He's changed the way that he's brought a certainly much more professional edge 
uh, to Indian cricket, uh, and fielding and fitness and, and all those kinds of things. I mean, he's, he's a, he's like Ponting, isn't he? In, in his aggressive sort of competitive nature and the way he plays. Um, and again, a totally fascinating character to write about and to deal with. Um, and a terrific batsman. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, uh, the way he came over here last time, you know, you know, after he really struggled on his first tour to England, goes to moving ball, he, he worked for hours and hours to sort out his technique to make sure he was able to counter that when he came back here a couple of years ago, uh, and 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 dominated the series, the early parts of that series. So, yeah, I love watching Cody, but I think he's a terrific player and brilliant white ball batsman as well. Probably the best I've ever seen actually white ball cricket. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that series two years ago when they came over, you're watching those test matches, like, intently every ball when Coley's batting, aren't you? And you, yeah. said, you said there about white ball stuff as well. Test average 53, ODI average 59, T20 international <coughs> average 50.8. Is he the best at the moment? Yes, I think he is. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but it's a different mark for now, isn't it, for great back. They have to be able to score runs in all three formats really and and you know he's a multi-format player you can go from 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 a test match to a t20 and and, and transfer those skills across yeah. um, and you look at that indian team and every single one of them wants to be very cool they all yeah. want to copy him takes you all around the spot. I didn't, I didn't, you know, obviously Flint off um, uh, as well, but I, I just think Stokes is uh, a, uh, a better bat. He's a, he's a probably better batsman and friend, friend's better bowler. But, um, but Stokes um, at the moment, I think he's the best all rounder in the world. Um, and uh, again, he's a heartbeat of a team. I know that said a lot about Stokes, but I think even in the even in the side with the team like the players that uh, they're in this eleven, they still you still need that guy who can fill that hole and can rescue a team that's in trouble. And what I like about Ben is that he's adaptable. He doesn't just bat one way. You know, he really has learned to tempo pace and tempo of a test match innings. Um, we saw that at Edinburgh, didn't we? You know um, how he. Batted slowly, yeah. got himself hit, and then accelerated towards the end and destroyed Australia. I think he really has mastered that. Um, terrific slip fielder, brilliant example in terms of professionalism off the field as well. I've never seen a cricketer train as hard as, as Stokes. He's the first in the nets and he's the last to leave. Um, he probably put so much work into his training in the end; it'll probably cut short his career. But um, <laughs> but um, but. Um, a, 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 and and brilliant vice captain, I think, as well for for, for you know total team man, loyal to his teammates. To he'll do anything for his teammates. Yeah, you, you mentioned it there about his training. That's come up a few times when people have mentioned Stokes. But something you said a couple of times about, you know, you've always got to kind of look for the story. Um, we don't really need to go into the off-field stuff that happened a couple of years ago. But is that the perfect story in the way he turned it round? You know, thinking the bigger picture for cricket that. Maybe he didn't have the best, the best, obviously, with what happened, and then last year just completely turned it round, as you say, sports personality of the year. Is that just the perfect scenario for him last year, really? Uh, yes. I mean, we all love a redemption, don't we? I mean, that that's what you know is is the comeback kid. You know, everybody loves that kind of narrative. Um, uh, and great players win 
big tournaments, don't they? They leave their mark. You know, Flintoff left his mark on 05. Um, Bozen left his mark on heading, you know, on, on the Ashes in, in 81. The great players have a series or a tournament that you look back and say that was that was his series. And, and that was the, 2019 was Stokes's chance to do that. And he took it because, you, you know, you never know, but those chances probably don't come around twice. And, yeah. um, and um, yeah, and, and he managed to handle that pressure. And I think look at him now, he's, because because he's got that confidence from being successful in very tight situations, I think he now believes he can win any game of cricket. Yeah. yeah. And that is massive for Joe Root to have that in his side. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on, number seven. You talked about wanting entertainers in your team. Looking at this middle order, we've got Adam Gilchrist coming in next. Yeah, yeah, Gilly. I mean, I think he would be in almost everybody's all-time eleven as the best keeper batsman there's ever been. Probably not the best keeper, but um, <laughs> you know, it's not. So I, I don't know. But um, but of my time, I mean, Gilchrist at seven um, didn't miss that many chances, and um, a, a, a gentleman uh, and a, a fine, fine counter-attacking batsman, the best there's ever been. He changed. Wicket keeping, didn't he? And, and if you can leave an indelible mark on your arts, then you know, um, then then you know you've done your job, haven't you? And more. So yeah, Gilchrist for me always really the, the number one choice as keeper. You just said then, uh, Nick. Obviously, he changed wicket keeping, but obviously he changed the whole role of the batting. Didn't he go in very aggressive? And obviously, you look at England, we're in the World Cup. They all kind of sort of started from him, really, didn't it? Yeah, and a lot of those players emulate. You know, they grew up one. Josh Butler grew up one. to be Adam Gilchrist, and um, he wasn't the only one. And, and yeah, that's um, that. That was. And don't forget, he's obviously he's one day. You know, opening the batting in one day cricket as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Gilly was was one of those players you didn't want to miss. You when he was batting, you wanted to sit down and watch. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So yeah, we're on to number eight into the uh, another seamer, Mitchell Johnson. Yeah, I, again, this is obviously players I've seen and covered, and um, I love watching Mitchell Johnson bowl. It was a real theatre to watching him steaming in um, in his run up and exploding at the crease and wanging it down at ninety five miles an hour. I remember watching him bowl to Alistair Cook at the Adelaide Oval. Um, and um, on that 13-14 tour that they won 5-0. Yeah. And I think it was the second innings and they kept... every the, the, the sight screens in Australia sort of turn round and they give you the speed on the side. Every ball just seemed to be getting quicker and quicker and quicker until the inevitable happened and he got cookie out, you know. And um, that series... Well, I mean, I've never seen a bowler dominate no, the series, obviously, you know. Uh, the way that, that, that Mitchell Johnson did, he had obviously massive history against England um, of you know failure, not success. Um, yeah. But um, and you obviously won that left arm, don't you? That left arm change of picking a team and and that sheer pace just frightening. Yeah, just on Mitchell Johnson, mate. Obviously, he's um, he's got an interesting relationship with the old Barmy Army. I think he's been a favourite for them, isn't he? Um, just think about them. You must have had some great experiences over the years with the Barmy Army. I think the Barmy Army do some terrific stuff, actually. I think that they keep the... Number one, they keep the cricket economy going, you know. Um, places like Sri Lanka, New Zealand, there won't be anybody in the ground unless the Barmy Army were there. And that, that's not just the Barmy... I mean, England fans all get 
coin, you know, sort of lumped together. There's not just the Barmies, there's the, a different crowd as well that follow England. But the one thing the Barmy Army have done really well in recent years as well is I think they've, they've filled the hole that the, the, something that the England team don't do anymore, annoyingly. Um, is that the Barmies will go and play cricket in Soweto. They will go, they do a great sort of community, a lot of community stuff when they're on tour as well that doesn't really get written about, but it's a great advert for, for English cricket. Um, and um, so, yeah, they, they, they you know, obviously, the, you know, I see chanting can be boorish and some element, uh, you know, don't always behave themselves, but um, but on the whole, they've been a massive positive for cricket. And like I say, the cricket economy the world relies on them so much now. Um, I'm worried that post-COVID world, the cost of travel, international travel, whether we won't see the Barmies on tour so much. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But just, yeah, brilliant. Just going back to Mitchell Johnson, I remember I was in Australia that summer. Well, their summer 2013. And, and again, I just looked at the scorecard and I remember this so well. They were 100 for si- 130 for six, the Aussies. And I remember day one just getting stuck into my Aussie friends. Mitchell, Mitchell Johnson got 64. He he then got four for sixty. He then got forty not out, and then he got five for forty, and they won by three hundred and eighty runs. But <laughs> just, just just an interesting one with him. It was only earlier that year that he hadn't even been selected on the Ashes tour as well, had he? No, that's why he came over for the one dayers. But um, you know, he bowled bloody quick in those one dayers, and he sorted trot out, didn't he, in those one dayers? Yeah, of course. That, that stuck in their memory. You know, that was a sign. I mean, England were knackered when they went to Australia that winter and, you know, the ECB um, should never really, it should never be forgotten what they put those players through that win that year playing back back Ashes series. They're always on a hide into nothing. Um, um, and they all just cracked under that pressure. Yeah, but Mitch was always one of those players, wasn't he? If he got run, you know, he was going to bowl. Yeah. yeah. Even that series in T11, you know, I think he had a good game in Perth, didn't he? And he got runs, I think, in that game as well. So it was, you know, he was one of those players. If he scored runs, he was, and he was, and he was, and he was up, you know, and when he got it right, it might be just unbelievable to watch. Yeah, that, that Ashes series there, you mentioned it there and how tough it must have been and the scheduling for the England team. That was kind of where it all started to unravel a little bit, wasn't it? With obviously Swan retired, Trot, Trot went home and, and then the KP, the KP stuff whistling in the changing room. Do you think that was that was part of the element to it, basically? You know, just so much cricket and almost a little bit just burnt out as a group. Yeah, they were burnt out as a group. The coach had gone on to long um, flower. Um, it was a breaking up of a very fine England team that used to success. They didn't. There were divisions in that side. We knew about those, but they, you know, they unravelled under pressure. Um, you know, Peterson had obviously already fallen out with them. Yeah. Text the text with the South Africans the the before, and those cracks are always going to reappear. And the pressure of an Ashes series <clears throat> brought them out. Um, there was a new director of cricket appointed who walked into the job, pulled down to having been out of the game for decades. It was a little bit out of his depth at that point, um, walking into an absolute nail dressing room, and um, and and, and it scarred that team for a very long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree there. Um, but we'll move on anyway to number nine. I've got a page of notes in front of me on each player here, and I got nothing written next to him, and that's Shane Warne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just move on, can't you? Because he's <laughs> bowler, it's been a bowler of all time. And, um, um, yeah, I, I, I think he, yeah, I mean, you would always have um, Warney in the side. Just, yeah, I mean, they're saying no more really about Shane Warne. 
Would the you... control, the the aggression, the everything. You know, brilliant, brilliant. Love watching Morley play. Would Would you always have him in the side, regardless of how he was bowling, just for the entertainment factor as well? <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, and his reputation and the way he talked his way into wickets. You know, um, the psychological effect he had on players, especially Englishmen. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I just. Yeah, I remember the first Ashes series I covered in Australia in 2003, I was working a bit for The Guardian and Mike Selvey used to say to all us young reporters, you know, um, listen to this announcement. And it was, um, you know, the, the announcements, you know, the ground announcer saying, you know, Glenn McGrath and, and Shane Warne and from the Paddington end and the Randwick Road end. And, he, you know, and... and, and um, and Selv would say, you know, that this is this is cricket's equivalent of, you know, in the blue corner is Muhammad Ali and in the red corner is Joe <laughs> Frazier. <laughs> and, and he was right, you know, the the the, 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 the legendary the, the once in a lifetime cricketers um, and Warren. <clears throat> I didn't see a lot of Warren really. I only saw him in you know oh five and uh, two thousand two three when he was a bit when he damaged his shoulder. Yeah, James Anderson's debut actually for England at the MCG. Um, <laughs> and um, um, yeah, but but in that time, yeah, just just a privilege to have seen him play. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the greatest Actually, to me. I go to his column for the Telegraph for five years as well, so I kind of you know you that that, that, that I've never you know Vaughan's got an amazing cricket brain, and so is Shane Warne. You know the kind of a million and one thoughts going off in his head. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so on to number ten, mate. Like, yeah, another superstar, Dale Stay. Yeah, I couldn't really decide between Stane and Anderson. It's so difficult to pick between the two. Um, um, you know, Jimmy, a master of his craft, and and Butler trends and getting better with age, which you never seen with fast bowlers or yeah. you know seen bowlers. Uh, but Stane, you know, he had the skill, not probably not quite the skill of Jimmy, but pretty close and but five miles an hour quicker. Um, again, a bit like Johnson, you know, just an incredible bowler to watch in action. That when he got a wicket, that fist pumping, you know, that aggressive yeah. kind of, you know, that that, that sort of uh, sort of animalistic kind of, of, of approach to, to fast bowling. Uh, and he could do it all over the world in any conditions with a kookaburra, with a dupe, whatever. You know, he, he just performed everywhere. Um, and uh, you know, he didn't last as long as Jimmy did. His shoulders given given away. I know he actually played a couple of T20s against England in South Africa. I was there just a few months ago, um, and the amazing thing was that at his age and after everything he's achieved in the game in that series, he unveiled a new slower ball. <laughs> if you're a young England bowler, young South African bowler, if Dale Stane could be asked to find you, then you know, really, you got no yeah, you, you mentioned there about sort of fist bumping, bit of aggression. Uh, Mitchell Johnson certainly the same, you know. But we've had Dale Stane mentioned a couple of times on the podcast, and everyone just says away from it, what a nice guy he is. Just how quiet and yeah, just a genuinely lovely guy. Is it just with people like that occasionally? Do you just see a little bit of a white line fever? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of guy you won't want to play chess against him or drafts or whatever, you know. <laughs> Playing that, I don't think he's naturally competitive bloke. But yeah, I mean, one of the five best people in cricket to interview. I mean, a terrific interviewee. You, you, you sit down with Dale Stane for twenty minutes, and you'll come come away with loads of material, you know, because he's got a lot of interesting thoughts about the game. He's very articulate, um, and you know that that, that it, it, you've got to 
cricket's always got to sell itself, you know? I mean, it's yeah. up against football, it's up against much bigger sports, and it's only played in a small part of the world, really. So it's always got to be able to sell itself. And it's great that a player of Stone's ability and class is, is, has that, 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 that talent to sell the game as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, number 11, another man who could get a little bit feisty. I'm <laughs> picturing Mike Atherton at the minute, and that's Glenn McGrath. Yeah, uh, again, you know, Warren Gilchrist, McGrath, you kind of have them in your all-time 11, especially if you've covered cricket from sort of 2000 <laughs> to now. Um, then, yeah, and if you've got Anderson, uh, sorry, if you've got Stain and Johnson operating at real pace, you know, to so have McGrath with that control, uh, you know, you, you, you would, um, especially if you're playing at Lords, I mean. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> um, on that slope. <laughs> with a Duke ball in his hand. But, it, but again, you know, anyway, in Australia, just that and, and nearing accuracy with that hint of menace as well not necessarily in pace but a pretty you know scary figure um yeah. and um yeah just just uh um again another like stain a very quiet man off the field a very um uh quietly spoken gentle figure yeah because obviously um as you mentioned as you you make Vaughan going to be captain this team nick i think so yeah i don't think i'd pick him otherwise Yes, and we've got a few questions for you, mate. Um, what was your favourite country to go to? Australia. Brilliant. Who, who's the best player to deal with? You mentioned staying there. Who do you really love interviewing and sitting down with? Oh, uh, oh good question. Uh, oh, uh, not necessarily giving me the best interviews I've ever had, but I think the, the nicest cricketer I've ever dealt with is probably Joe Root. Brilliant. Just just to throw you under the bus a little bit here, who's notoriously the most difficult? <laughs> Do you mean difficult as in obnoxious or difficult as in not always giving you the best quote you've ever had? Ideally difficult as in obnoxious, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's. I'm, I'm trying to think if I've ever been told to get stuff, but I mean, I probably have. But, <laughs> uh, that's a, I'd have to say. Uh, I don't that. I mean, I've always. Yeah, always, I mean, Kevin always got an okay with. I mean, I've seen him be incredibly rude to other journalists, but um, <laughs> uh, I mean, Monty would be. I love Monty, but he could sometimes talk some absolute gobbledygook when you had to deal with him. Um, um, and um, yeah, so yeah, probably yeah. I can't answer that. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a favourite ground you go to, mate? Wantage Road, Northampton, obviously. <laughs> nice. Stick to the roots. Family memories. Yeah, love that. What about, where's the best hospitality? Where are you getting the best food when you're working? Got away to ask by a mile. Really? Good job. I, thought, I was expecting Lords there. Yeah, no, first one saying not Lords. No, 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 HBAS. In the last few years, they've really upped their game. It's incredible. The food, they, the way they, they look after us is amazing. Um, some of the grounds in Australia, Adelaide, they used to have like wine tasting and things like that. You know, <laughs> press, but they don't do that so much now. But um, yeah, definitely HBAS. Definitely. Brilliant. It was Heino Kunu, yeah, who we spoke to at Kent, former South Africa. He mentioned that I think it was Supersport Park over there. The the players get a good bry, a nice barbecue during the game. Do you do you ever get that luxury? Not in South Africa. Uh, in South Africa, not really. No. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, I remember? No, not no. Never, never, never. No, not like that. I'm trying to think. If we've had any unusual. One's some good jerk chicken in the Caribbean, obviously. But, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, actually, to be, the, the one that sticks out in my mind is Chandigarh uh, in in the Punjab in India. Ground yeah, yeah. um, is actually Mohali, but on the back at the back of the press box is a terrace, and in the morning they sit there rolling the dough, and they give you fresh chapatis, straight oh, nice. bread, tandoor oven your lunch and that is amazing that is the best food <laughs> there we go can't, can't complain with that mate absolutely you know fascinating insight that fascinating i can't be words out fascinating insight there into the team but you know all, all, all a good chat at the start as well uh, i think Stephen, is that everything from us mate yeah just brilliant having a different angle on things and players and how they are you know not only on the pitch but off as well so yeah big thanks from us nick thanks for coming on no worries no worries pleasure yeah brilliant I'll echo that thank you very much Nick thanks again Steve and thanks everybody for listening all the usual stuff website academynorth.co.uk social media at Academy North 1 Apple and Spotify and that is us thank you very much again Nick cheers Nick take care guys thank you